But as Greg said, we're in this series called Long Story Short. We've been walking through the big story of the Bible. We've been walking through that, and Dan kicked us off last week. And the reason that we're walking through this series is that we don't want to assume that the whole story of the Bible just makes sense, right? Whether you grew up in church or not, there's plenty of people that grew up in church, and they're not really sure what the actual story is of the Bible. They know a bunch of random parts and pieces, but when you zoom out, you see the whole story a lot clearer. And what I think is true, I know it's true for me, and I think it's true for a lot of us, is that we get a lot of snapshots of what's in the Bible, right? We get just a lot of random snapshots, a bunch of random pictures, that we maybe hear a sermon here at one point in our lives. We have this Bible study about a lion's den and a giant fish in our heads. We see a verse that someone posts angrily on Facebook. Like there's just all these different parts, pieces, all these different snapshots. And we don't always get to see the big picture. Much like this random snapshot of Joel and I. It's a random snapshot with no context, right? It's just Joel and I sitting in a couple king leather seats with eight Pizza Hut pizzas. And a lot of times that's how reading the Bible can be. It's just a random story, a random verse, and we're not sure how it fits in to the larger story. I don't have time to give you context to this picture. It's really not that exciting, but we're walking through this story. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the second act of this story. Last week, Dan kicked us off. We talked about creation, right? The beauty of creation that God created and it was good that everything was good, that the, the reality of heaven and earth were one, right? That the goodness of God, the reality of God, the presence of God, the manifestation of God, and all that he is was united with earth, that heaven and earth dwelt together. And it was good, right? That God, this huge God designed with order and with purpose and with beauty, and that no matter how you think it may have happened, believe that God crafted, he created, and he breathed life into mankind. And all of life, all of creation, creation was in unison with God, right? Almost like there was this universal peace, there was this universal harmony, like an orchestra where everybody's playing on pitch, in tempo, on time, and everything's exactly how it should be. And he creates mankind in his image to have this unique relationship above all of creation, that we have this image of God uh, that, that we carry as men and women in this world. That we have this, this meaning, this purpose, this picture of God that we sometimes can't even quite explain in specific words, but mankind has a specific relationship with God that we bear his image, right? And I think about how just everything was good at creation. That man and, and God dwelt and walked together. We can't shortchange the beauty of creation and what it means. But this is week two, this is act two, and everything gets shot to heck. Everything's messed up, right? Like here we are, 2019. It is not good. It's not good, ladies and gentlemen. It's a little, a little distorted, if we're being honest, right? If, if you read the news, if you walk outside, if you interacted with a human being today, you'll be like, yep, this is not, this is not the creation God created, right? Taco Bell, if you order water, Taco Bell has to give you a clear cup. Because if you get a regular cup, you're just going to order water and get pop. The world's messed up. Bill Murray says in Ghostbusters, he says, cats and dogs living together. It's mass hysteria, right? That we aren't in a place that God created. We're we're God created, but it's not how he created it, right? And so today I want to continue to look at this story. I want to continue to look at how sin entered the picture and how it impacted our world, how it impacted our humanity, and how it impacts our hearts, right? 
how it impacts our hearts. That everything is upside down. And I think that we could say that whether we believe in this whole story of sin that we're going to talk about, no matter what our worldview is, we can agree that, that it's not how it should be out there, right? That the world is not how it should be, that there's this gleam of hope inside of our hearts that things should be different than they are. And so today I want to continue to look at that story. But before we get started, there's just a couple things I want to mention, right? There's a couple things I want to mention that as we're going through this story, as we're walking through this long story short, and there's many of you here that you're like, I don't really believe in the Bible. I don't really believe in God or this whole thing, right? And I'm glad you're here. Like, I'm glad you're here. This, the, the goal of this series is not to, not to prove God, right? Not like we're going to get to the end of the series and you're going to be like, ah, he got me. Now I believe. No, the point of the series is just to tell you the story. Because a lot of times we have these snapshots, we have these random ideas, these random verses, and they don't all fit together and we get this distorted view. So what we want to do is just want to tell you the story. But if you, if, if you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the story, I think it's safe to say that we all whether it's this story or a different story, we all have a long story short, right? Like we all have, we all have our understanding and belief about where we came from, where we're going, what our meaning and purpose is, what morality is. Like we all have our own version of that. So I ask you, what's your long story short? As we're talking about what this long story short of the Bible is. And I also know this, as we jump into this conversation today, we're talking about the curse, we're talking about sin, we're talking about the fall. And this is what I know. I'm a millennial. You can tell by my genes, right? Like, I get it. Like, we don't like talking about this. We don't like talking about sin because you're like, I feel like you're going to tell someone they're wrong, and I don't like that. Like, I get it. Like, I don't, it's not like I, like, walk around like, let's just talk about sin. That's not like my conversation breaker with people. Like, you want to have a minute to talk about sin? We could talk about sin together. Like, that's, but we don't like talking about that. Our modern culture is not a fan of that because it's uncomfortable because there's a lot of caricatures of sin like sin is like this little chocolate temptation we're going to steal or something. But sometimes we don't like talking about it because there's this idea that comes along, if sin is a real thing and if we have sin in our lives, then it feels like people can judge me and I can judge people and everybody's judging each other and we don't like that, right? And some of those are characters. I, wanna, I think as we walk through this today, it'll shed some light on what sin is and what sin isn't, right? And the fact that we're all part of this. We're all under this condition together. But I also want to say this, that in the midst of the fact that some of our, our, our modern culture doesn't really know how to talk about this, doesn't like talking about this, that I think this, that when we're looking at the whole story of the Bible, and we're looking at the big story of God, that this isn't like an optional chapter, right? Like we can't, like we just get rid of that chapter. If we take, get rid of this act, if we get rid of the fall, if we get rid of sin, the story doesn't make any sense. Like God created everything and then he showed up and died on a cross. You're like, why? Don't ask. We don't want to talk about it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, right? So I want to say this, that this, this idea, this part of the story is not optional if you believe in this story, if this story is what we cling to. Jesus says in Luke 5, he shows up, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, that's why Jesus said he came. So if we don't like want to talk about this, if we don't acknowledge this, it's like Jesus shows up. He's like uh, looking for sinners. We're like, you got the wrong planet. That's not our planet. No, it's essential to the story that if there's no problem, if there's no fall, if creation didn't get messed up, then why did Jesus come? Why do we need saved? What's the point of the cross? That without sin, without this chapter in the book, there's no comfort at Christmas, right? Like Jesus dwelling with us is 
like nice. You're like, thanks, hi Jesus, you're a cute baby, but it's not comforting, right, that God dwelt with us. If there's no problem, if there's no sin, then Easter is kind of weird. He triumphed over the grave. We're not sure why. You know, there's, there's no power to Easter if this chapter doesn't exist. And there's no hope if this chapter doesn't exist. What do we need hope for? If this is the best it gets and we just need some programs or to stop sinning, then let's just do that. We don't need to worry about heaven, right? That this chapter is essential for the rest of the story to make sense. I love the way a guy named Matt Chandler says it. He says that if the gospel is good news, it has to invade a dark space, right? If the gospel is good news, and we believe the gospel, the story of Jesus, is good, great, awesome news, and if we believe that, it has to invade something that isn't so great. And so that's, that's what we're looking at this morning. So I want to look at that place. I want to look at that space. And I, I'm just going to say this out of the top. I, I want us to feel the weight this morning. As one of your pastors, as, as your friend, like I want us to feel, I want for myself, I want us to feel the weight this morning. Not just because I'm like hellfire and brimstone, like you got to feel the weight. You got to deal with your sin. Because you may have experienced that. But no, I want us to feel the weight because this story does not make sense if we're really not that bad. Like if God's just kind of like, you know, at creation, God planted a couple trees, you know, go Earth Day. And then at the fall, man kind of, you know, botched it a little bit. And then the cross is just doesn't, it, there's no power there. So in order for new creation and for Jesus and the cross and for Easter to be a huge deal, we got to double click on this and we got to feel the weight of it. But with that said, with that said, I don't know what your background is with church, but sometimes the preachers get up here and they're just going to guilt you. We're just going to guilt you for 45 minutes. Then you can go home and eat McDonald's and try to ignore what I said. And here's what, I grew up in church. I walked down the aisle a hundred times. I went to youth conference, got saved 90 times. That was a joke. But here's what, here's what I know. If guilt is the motivating factor in your pursuit of God and your understanding of this whole thing, it's going to last like maybe 20 minutes. That guilt is not long-term life change. That guilt, you're either going to, oh man, I feel so guilty of my sin. You'll go home and you're either just going to hide it or you're going to try and find some means to make yourself feel better about yourself. So today I want us to feel the weight of it, but I, my goal is not that we just feel amorphously guilty, okay? I just want us to be on the same page so we can walk through this together because I think there's some aspects that might feel a little heavy. But today I want to look into this. So I want to look at the story, right? So we're going to look in Genesis 3. Genesis 1, page 1, everything's great. Page 2, going great. The other side of page 2, page 3, not so great. Like it takes no time at all before everything gets shot to heck and everything gets messed up. My wife and I have a little baby. He's three months old. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, babies, what's that? But we were, we we're going to go, last month, we we're going to take him on a walk, right? We we're going to take him on this walk. We were so excited. It was fool's spring. You have winter, then you have that nice day in March, which I just heard yesterday is called fool's spring, before you have second winter. But we were going to go take him a walk on fool's spring. So we put, him, put the stroller together, put his little black hoodie on him so he looks just like his dad. We got the camera out. We got pacifiers, got bottles of water. Like we're going on an excursion. It's going to be great. We are so excited. It's sunny out. It's 70 without wind. And so we, we get out. I promise you, we are not to the end of the driveway. 
before, before he's screaming, she's screaming, I'm crying, everybody's crying, everything's, the wheels are falling off. Not, not of the, the wheels aren't falling off of the stroller, that's just metaphorical. But we weren't to the end of the driveway before everything was messed up, right? And that's how this story is, that God creates, it's good, it's great. And before we're even at the end of the driveway, mankind messes it all up. And so we're just going to jump into that story so you guys can open your Bibles to Genesis 3. It's probably the second page in the Bibles in front of you, or you can read it on the screen with me. And we're just going to take a look at this. So God, well, I guess before we jump in, I want to acknowledge a couple things. If, if, if you aren't familiar with this story, there's a snake that talks, there's a couple naked people, and there's a tree that is a little mystical. But we're just going to walk through the story. Is that cool? Because we do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So kind of the basis of this entire thing is a little unique. And so we're just going to walk. This is the story that God gives us. So we're just going to walk into it today, okay? And so, so God creates everything. He gives mankind, he creates mankind in his image and they're walking through this together. They're dwelling on earth and God makes everything. And what he tells man is there's just one tree over here. Just don't eat from that tree. You can go rivers and valleys and ride a moose and, and reign in the world with me. This is, this is all yours. Just don't eat that tree. All right? So that's, that's kind of the framework. And here we go. Genesis 3. You guys can read on the screens or can read in the Bibles with you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will certainly die. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are gonna be opened and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. That God created us to rely on him, to commune with him, to trust in who he is and to walk and have life in his presence. But Satan, this snake, this, this figure appears and, and he questions God, right? He, he sows the seed of doubt. He sows the seed of questioning God's goodness. He's like, hey, guys, real cool. We're hanging out here. Did God tell you about how cool it is if you eat some of that fruit? Like sometimes we boil this down to just like, they disobeyed, broke the rule. Here we are. Yes, that's part of it, but there's so much more to the story. It's so much deeper that I think pulls at the heart of all of us as humans. That, that, that we doubted God, right? That this serpent slithers up and he makes us question God's character. I love this quote from this publication called Mockingbird. It says, to have something withheld or at least to be convinced that something is being withheld is one of the biggest impediments to trust and one of the biggest sowers of discontent. This is the seed that's sown in the garden. In these situations, the offended, the ones who were lied to, the ones who were withheld information from, they become wholeheartedly convinced that the withholders, the ones with the information, are trying to ruin their lives. That's what's happening here in the garden. That Satan is sowing these seeds of discontent. That they were made to walk with God, to rely on good, to trust God, to walk with him, to trust and have presence in his life. And Satan sows these seeds of like, you know, it could be better. You could, you could be like God, right? Which not to mention they were made in the image of God. They were already made like God. 
But there was this desire that Satan pulls out of them. It wasn't just disobedience, but they began to wonder if God had their best interest in mind. Listen, we doubted God, we doubted his character, and we reimagined who he was. We made this new picture of who he was. Now he's not this good guy. He's this God who kind of keeps some things to himself, who doesn't tell me all the stuff, who kind of, who kind of is sowing some seeds of discontent inside of me. That's who this God is. And we reimagined who we could be. Look at what verse four says. I think this is the linchpin to this entire passage. Verse four. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, that you will be like God. That humans, we have this desire that we, it wasn't good enough to dwell with God, to walk with God, to commune with God. No, we wanted to be like God. We want to take God's place. We wanted to put ourselves on the throne of creation. We wanted to be like God. We didn't think that God was doing his job right. Does this sound familiar to anybody at all? that we wanted to be like God, we wanted to be God, we wanted to have this knowledge of good and evil, that we can be like God knowing good and evil. Sometimes we forget that this wasn't just a tree. He didn't say, just don't eat from that ficus tree over there. I don't think ficus is a tree. I think it's a plant, I don't know. But it wasn't just a random tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a knowledge that we were not created to have. We were created to walk with God, to commune with God, why he holds that knowledge. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is the holy one who created all things. He's got that knowledge. We have no need for it. But we grasp for that knowledge and everything changes. In our desire, we grasp for something that we were never meant to have. Like a child who walks in and is like, can I, you know, mom and dad, I'm going to run things here. I'm going to grasp. I could understand pretty easily how finances work, how 401ks work, how closing costs work. You know, I'm going to go ahead and take over the finances, mom and dad, because we don't have enough gummy bears in the house. Like that's like the stupidity of what, what we're trying to grasp for. Or like the temp, you know, like Ryan from the office, like the temp who steps in and on the first day of work is like, you know, I think I could run this place. I think, I think I could take the responsibility and the wherewithal to run this place. I want that knowledge. I'm taking it. Like the annoying kid who walks in on the first day of biochemistry class, the tenured professor who's been there forever, and is like, I know more about biochemistry than he does. I'm going to grasp this knowledge because I think that I understand it in the way that they do. This was knowledge that we were never meant to have, that we didn't have the capacity to have. And so look at what happens in verse six and seven. Satan doesn't, doesn't lie when he says your eyes will be opened. He just lies about what that's gonna mean. Look at verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then right here, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There's right, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were now opened in a way that they should never have been opened. That now there's this shame, they have to cover themselves. That there's this self-awareness, that there's this blame game that starts happening. That they start covering their butts, both literally and figuratively. But this relationship changes. 
this relationship with one another, this relationship with man and woman, this relationship with creation, ultimately this relationship with God, it changes, it shifts, right? It is not the same that now there's this distrust, there's this questioning, there's this hiding, that everything has changed and now we no longer dwell with the creator of life because we wanted to gain that knowledge for ourselves. You guys tracking with me that we had this desire to ascend for ourselves that we didn't need God, that we could do it ourselves. And now this is, this is how I think. I don't know if you guys think this way, but this is how I think. And I have to trust that some of you guys think this, but do you ever ask the question like, why, why do you put the tree in the garden? Do you ever like read the story like, you know, God, we could avoid this problem very easily. Don't put that tree there. Like anybody else, like this problem could be solved, right? Like here, Aiden, just take a, or here, God, take a note from Pastor Aiden. He has read the story. Uh, he thinks that you should have not put the tree there, that that would have fixed the problem. And this is just my opinion. This isn't like first Finn 4-6. This is just my opinion. But the reason that God puts this tree there is I think about this, that if Sarah and I were the only two people on earth, if it was just us, and I was like, Sarah, I love you more than anybody. (laughs) You're like, cool, man, thanks so much. That's really meaningful. Like, it doesn't mean anything, right? Like, I have no choice. I have no options. You're my only option. Of course, sure, we're gonna have a great relationship. Nobody else is gonna get in the way. I think about this idea that by having the opportunity for us to choose other than God was the only way in which this relationship would be genuine, right? My wife told me not to say this, but I'm going to anyways, that in the words of Jay-Z, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. The way a guy named Matt Chandler says it is that, that God in creation, he gave mankind the dignity of a choice. He gave us the dignity of a choice. Have you ever thought about that? They didn't just create and say, there you go, love me, you have no option. No, God, God gave men the dignity of this choice because we're made in his image. I think it's such a powerful way to put it. And you think about this, that God, rivers and valleys and mountains, he, he was not heavy-handed with this. It wasn't like he was like, don't go on this side of the hemisphere. Anything we wanted, we're just walking and communing in this peace with God. He's like, just don't eat from that tree. It's not like a lot of hard stuff to follow, right? I love how this, this guy, Frederick Buchner, says this. He says, the biblical view of history and of each individual man and woman is contained in the first three chapters of Genesis. We are created to serve God by loving God and each other in freedom and joy, but we invariably chose bondage and woe instead as prices not too high to pay for our independence. To say that God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden is apparently a euphemism for saying that Adam and Eve, like the rest of us, made a break for it as soon as God happened to look the other way. And so you have this story, no matter how you read it, we have this story that now heaven and earth no longer are in unison, no longer in perfect harmony, no longer dwell together, right? Everything that was good is now cracked. 
Why? Because the creator of life is separated from his creation now because we ascended to take his spot. It wasn't just disobedience. It wasn't just a broken rule, but the unity and peace and everything is cracked, that the lens is distorted, that now there's this glitch in the system. There's this ripple in in the blueprint and things aren't how they were meant to be, that sin and death have entered because we got rid of the creator of life, right? That we're separated now. And so here's the thing. If we're going to follow this story, you don't have to agree with me. You may be like, this is, I don't know about this. That's fine. We're just going to keep walking through the story though. And to understand the story, I think, I think there's a couple of things we have to understand about how this, what the sin means and how it plays out, all right? So we're just going to look at the mechanics of this for a second. But I think about this. You guys can write it down this way. That sin is a condition that infects and affects everything in creation. That because of this, because this reality is cracked, because now there's this this glitch in the system, because heaven and earth are no longer together, that now sin reigns, death reigns, and there's this condition that infects and affects everything in creation. One of my good friends moved to Denver, Colorado. He had enough of Ohio understandable. But he lives in Denver now. And when you go to Denver, you go to visit him once in a while, there's some different things that happen to you, right? If you go to Denver, if, if you're not ready for it, you, you kind of get out of breath really easily. So you get shortness of breath, or if you go hiking, you'll get a little nosebleed maybe, that you'll get these headaches, that all these different things happen to you. You might get a little sick, not because Denver is under some kind of curse, but because Denver is a mile above the sea level and the oxygen is different in Denver. That there's a whole different atmosphere in Denver that the oxygen is different there. And because the atmosphere is different, it causes all these things. These aren't just random things that happen, but they happen because Denver is under a different atmosphere, right? Because of its height. It's, it's a different place. And that's, that's what happens, that we are under the atmosphere of sin. We're under the atmosphere of death because we're separated from the creator of life, right? I love the way a guy named Simeon Zoll uh, says this. I, I, he, read, he wrote an article, that, uh, a lot of this, uh, I kind of based some of this off of, but he says this. He says, sin is not best identified by acts of moral transgression. Rather, sin is a basic condition under which human lives exist. It's so important to understand that. It's so important that we get that difference this morning. Look at Romans 5. This is what Paul writes in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. That under the weight of sin, we all have died because sin brought about this death, both, both spiritual and that our spiritual relationship to God is dead and broken and physically now. We die, right? We were not meant to deal with this. We were not meant to live through death. But now because the creator of life is separated, we now experience this reality of death and this condition of sin that we're born under. The, the atmosphere of sin points to us being born from Adam and we have these deadened hearts, right? We are born dead. We are born spiritually dead, spiritually broken. And because of that, we do the act of sinning, Right? I think Billy Graham says it, that capital S sin, the condition of sin is the root and the sins that we do are the fruit, right? And this is, this is important to understand. We can't miss this. You're like, why is this so important? Because 
If sins are just little things that we do that we shouldn't do, if it's just a little mistake here, a little trip up here, then in some way we could probably stop, right? That if we just try hard enough, we can stop doing these sins. If we just get our life in order, if we just put some good fences up, we can just stop doing these things. But the reality of, of the sin, the reality of how the condition plays out in our lives helps us to understand that it's not something we can just stop doing. That's the difference between sin versus sinning. Keep walking with me. Keep walking with me. That if sin is a condition that infects and affects everything in this world, then sinning, sinning is our heart's expression of this condition, right? That just like the expression of Colorado's atmosphere is getting a bloody nose and a headache and upset stomach and getting out of breath, that the expression of this condition of sin is sinning, right? Look at Psalm 14. It says this, the Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God, but all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. Mark 7 says this, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. They come from inside because we're born under this condition. We're born under this condition of sinfulness, right? And so our hearts are dead and our lives follow suit. There's an old theological phrase for this called total depravity. And it sounds pretty gnarly. Sounds pretty gnarly, total depravity. But this is what it means. It doesn't mean that we're all crazy, that we're all going to kill each other. It's not what it means. But what it does mean, though we're not the worst possible version of who we could be, what it means is that the impact in the nature of sin has impacted every aspect of every person, right? You guys having a good spring morning so far? That these sins, these things that we do, the outplay of this condition is breaking the rule. It's missing the mark, right? And it exists because we're under the condition of sin and that condition exists because we rejected God. This is a simple, this is a simple analogy, but we gotta get this this morning. It, it's, gotta, it's gotta click for us. I used to work for a guy, he was a pastor and he explained it to me this way. This is a stupid analogy, but I'm a big fan of stupid analogies, as you probably know. But I, I'm, not, I'm not a sinner once I steal a cookie from the cookie jar. Like, it's not like, now I'm a sinner. Like, that's not how it works. But sometimes it's how we think about it, right? That I'm going to do these things and now I'm a sinner. Like that, I'm not a sinner because I took a cookie from the cookie jar. The reason that I lusted after this chocolatey goodness, the reason that I had this desire for it, the reason that I outplayed this action of stealing this cookie is because I am a sinner. Are you with me? Are you feeling good? You're not a sinner because you sinned. We sin because we're sinners. You got to keep walking with me today. I know you're like, this kid needs a nap. Just keep walking with me. Keep walking with me today, because if we don't get this, the, the cross is not going to pop. And so you, I, I don't know if you're here and you're like, sir, I disagree. That's, you don't have to agree to come here. But I think what we can agree upon, like I said at the beginning, is that there's something out there that's not, not right. Like you read the headlines, you read the news, and there's something out there that is clearly messed up. 
that the world ain't how it should be, that there's this little glimmer inside of us that we're like, this isn't how things should be. We all have that little piece of us, that there are these moral transgressions, there's these sins, so to say, that, are, that we could all agree are nasty and painful and we like to get them out of our earth, right? We like to rid ourselves of these sins. A couple years ago, our church partnered with the community and we had this sex trafficking awareness forum where we partnered with the police and the schools to try and look at this problem and be like, how can we as a community battle this, be aware of this, understand how this works so that this doesn't happen anymore in our community, which it has. And we all are going to agree that sex trafficking is gross and awful and terrible. Like nobody's in here and they're like, I don't know, maybe. No, it's awful. We all agree. That, that we hear these stories of murders and of shootings and it's on the news and we're like, man, there's something messed up out there. There's this heartbreaking reality out there, right? That, that how people in our world are exploited and manipulated and used and abused. Maybe you are somebody who's been exploited or manipulated or used and abused and it's awful and it's painful. How, I don't know if you read the news, but there's some moron in, in Colorado that kills his pregnant wife and her child and his other two kids and then stands on his porch and acts like, I, I hope they come back. There is clearly something wrong out here in our world. I think we could all agree on that, right? That there's something messed up out there. And it pains our hearts to see. It pains our hearts to walk through. All of us are the recipients of this pain in the world in different ways, right? But the reality of this condition of sin, the reality of this presence of sin in our world and in our hearts, it tells me that this problem is not just something that's out there. But this problem is something that's in here. Now, keep walking with me. I know you're like, okay, whoa, that's a big comparison to make there, son. I get it. Just keep walking with me. I'm not saying that we're all murderers. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we take those very seriously, don't we? And when we're looking at the story of the Bible, we're looking at the story of Jesus, God's story, what we see is that Jesus takes this way more seriously than we do way more seriously than we do. That we kind of wait till it makes the headlines and we're like, whoa, we should probably stop that. Jesus is looking at the seeds. He's looking at the root. Look at, look at, look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, he's teaching a sermon to all these people who think they're pretty great people, who aren't that bad, who aren't perfect, but they're not. She's who's talking to. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago that you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, other versions say anyone who hates your brother and sister, you will be subject to judgment. He goes on to say this, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but Jesus, Jesus up as a score, he said, anyone that even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. Jesus doesn't wait for these things to be in full bloom. He doesn't just sit around and say, we'll just wait, we'll just wait till it's really a problem, then we'll deal with it. It's not what Jesus does. He takes it so much more seriously than we do. And he looks at the seeds. He looks at the root of this. He says, we got to get rid of this. We want to get rid of sex trafficking and murder and racism and all these big problems. Jesus says, we got to get rid of some seeds first. Jesus takes it so much more seriously. And what this condition of sin indicates about me and indicates about all of us is that we have these seeds within us. 
You thought I was joking when I was talking about me needing a nap. If you, if you ask my wife, this is a little way that my sin shows up, is I am the meanest, grumpiest human being in the world when I wake up from a nap. Like, it's embarrassing. Like, you guys would probably be like, he should probably be fired after waking up from a nap. Like, I'm like, Sarah, I'm going to go lay down. I'm going to go take a nap. She's like, I'm going to move out. I don't want to deal with this. And I'm not, I'm not lying. You think you're like, ha ha, he's being funny. No, I wake up and I'm like consciously aware. I'm like, why are you being such a jerk? But I am, right? And I see this little baby that we had. He's three months. Ooh, just kidding, just kidding. But we had this little baby and everybody says that when a baby wakes up, they're like, oh, a baby wakes up from a nap and he's so happy. Not this kid, not him. He wakes up from his nap and he just looks at us. He's like, what are you doing? Get out of my shack. Get out of here. Move. You're in my way. Like this, he's so ticked when he wakes up. He's like, I peed in my diaper and I like it that way. Move, mom and dad. You're bugging me. You're crowding me. And I look at this guy. I'm like, oh man, this kid's got the seeds of his dad in him. His poor wife. I hope he gets married. If he's worse than me, he's probably never going to get married. She knows how he is and wakes up from a nap. That what this condition of sin tells us is that we all have these seeds within us. And I know that it feels like you're comparing some crazy stuff here, Aiden, but Jesus just takes it so much more seriously. Jesus sees the full picture. That we all see the the fruit of sex trafficking, right? We see this problem. We see this evil that's on our earth and we want to get rid of it. We should get rid of it. We work to get rid of it. But Jesus looks at the seeds. He looks at the heart. He looks at the seeds of lust. He looks at the seeds of this, well, you know, boys will be boys. He looks at the seeds of pornography, which literally fuel the sex trafficking industry. They're not disconnected. And Jesus looks at them. He's like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. We got to fix this. Or we, we look at these, these, these stories that we read in the news of, of racism and senseless killings and murders and all these things that we read in the headlines that it seems like every day. And we're like, man, we all agree it's gross, it's terrible, it's painful, there's victims, it's awful. Nobody's disagreeing with that. But Jesus looks at the seeds that start this, the seeds of pride, seeds of hate, the seeds of arrogance that put ourselves above the other, that constantly self-justify why we're right and why our viewpoint's right and why that viewpoint is wrong, why they're wrong, and we always justify ourselves and we decide that our viewpoint is superior, that we have these seeds of pride and of arrogance and of hate within us. And Jesus sees the seeds. He doesn't just wait for the headlines. And so I, 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 know, I, know what you, I know what you're feeling. You're like, dude, it's spring. Would you chill? Would you chill? Because if the reality is, if we're under this condition of sin, it's because man cracked this reality and now we're separated from the creator of life and because we chose to grasp the power for ourselves and now we dwell in this reality separated from God and history is just spiraling. We try to fix it and our, we're under this condition and our hearts are deadened and now the outpouring of that is sin. Then what are we supposed to do, Aiden? What some of us do is we just close our eyes, we plug our ears and we're like, I just don't care. 
I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't care who it affects or how it affects anybody. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to compound it, and I'm just going to ignore the effects of it. For some of us, that's how we handle it, right? We just don't care. Middle finger to all that, and we're just going to double down. But for some of us, we see how this impacts relationships. We see how this impacts our lives. And we're like, man, I got I to gotta deal with this in some way. And so in our different efforts, just walk with me. I know some of you have heard this before, but it's important to how we deal with this reality is that we try to just clean it up ourselves. We try to be a better version of ourselves. That in 10 years, I'll have a better job. I'll, then I'll give a little bit more. I can't wait for 10-year version of myself. Or in 10 years, I'll, be, I'll have read a couple more Osteen books and I'll be a little bit more positive and I'll be nicer to people in 10 years. And what happens is we get there in 10 years and you're like, oh, dang, mostly the same, just a little skinnier. Darn it. And we try to clean up those things and we act very religious. Now, listen, I'm not talking about church. For some of us, it is church. For some of us, we're like, if I just go sit in those magical purple seats, then maybe it's gonna cleanse me of my sin. But for some of us, our religion looks very different. That this idea of religion is just anything that we do to make ourselves feel okay, to make it feel like we're okay in this world. That man, in my past, I hurt my kids, I hurt my wife, I just mess up these relationships, and so I'm going to be the best boss I can be. I'm just going to double down and try to make up for it. For some of us, you're like, man, I had a rough background. My, my older kids, that kind of messed up a little bit. So my, my younger kids, I'm going to be the best parent. They'll be the best kids in the world. You'll see, and their teachers will see too, and they're going to be the best or it's money, whatever it is that we just try to find these religious things. Our culture is extremely religious. We just don't go in church very often. We justify ourselves with all kinds of things to try and deal with the reality of the sinful condition. So what do you do? It's, I don't think trying harder is going to fix it. So what else we do is we, well, maybe I'll just compare myself to everybody else because I promise you, you can find someone who looks a lot worse than you. Like it's not, it, you can find someone that someone who's a little bit more addicted than you are, that's a little bit more grumpy than you are, that wakes up from naps a little bit more like Satan than you do, that's a little bit more greedy than you are, that tells a little bit more bold-faced lies, that's a little bit more sketchy with their tax return, all these different things. You can find somebody like that. And they can find somebody like that. We can all find somebody a little worse than ourselves. Romans 3.23 says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And this guy, David Zoll, says that doesn't keep us from measuring who's fallen the farthest. Now we compare, we see how far we've fallen. And I told you at the beginning that I want us to feel the weight today, right? Not the guilt. I want us to feel the weight. I can feel it. Y'all look ticked at me. I love what Paul says in Romans. Paul says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. That's what I keep on doing. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to feel the weight today because the beauty and reality of God's grace and forgiveness and his pursuit of us is so much bigger. But without the weight, it's not that great. Without the bad news, the good news is just a headline of a little newspaper. It's, if this isn't a condition that we are stuck in, that we can't get out of on our own, then the security and promise of the cross is not any more beautiful than any other self-help book. But if we see our weight, if we feel our weight, then we look at the cross and we're humbled and we're like, wow, God's grace is really that big. 
God's beauty is really that big. God's patience with us is so much bigger than I thought it was. So I want to circle back to the story we looked at earlier. And right from the beginning, we see God's grace moving towards us. Look at this, look at this. Verse, verse uh, 8 and 9, right here. Right after mankind dropped the ball, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of day and, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But right here. But the Lord God called to them. He said, where are you? They weren't playing like this, this mystical divine version of hide and seek. Like he knew where they were, right? He knew that they ate the fruit. And you, a lot of times how we think God works is they ate the fruit and God's like, did they eat that? No, forget you guys, fine. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. We miss this, but right from, when the ball is dropped, right from the sin, God comes chasing after them. He says, where are you? He comes looking for them. That, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but it goes on to say that he sacrifices this animal to cover them, to give them clothing. That the first death in the Bible, the first sacrifice in the Bible is God taking this covering of this animal and covering the nakedness and the sin and shame of the ones he created? Sound like anybody we know? Any guesses? Jesus Christ, you'd be right. That right away we see these pictures of Jesus. But there's even more powerful than this. Keep going. This isn't just right away, right away, God is moving towards us. Look at verses 3, uh, 14 and 15. So God is talking through, he's talking through the outcomes of how the sin is going to play out in our lives. And he talks to the woman and now he's talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan. And this is what he says. This is a little confusing, but it's powerful. He says, cursed are you above all the livestock, all the wild animals. You crawl on your belly. You eat dust all the days of your lives. He says this, underline this in your Bible. I will put enmity between you in the woman, in between your offspring, and between her offspring. That all through the Bible, we see these lineages, we see these, these family trees, and they're not just there for fun, they're there because you can see the line from Eve to Jesus. And he says this, the offspring of Satan, or the offspring of the woman will crush your head while you will strike his heel. That on Good Friday, we come together and we celebrate Christ dying for us in our place. You know what that is? That's Satan striking the heel of Jesus. Goes in the grave for a couple days. A couple days later on Easter morning, we're crushing heads of serpents, baby. We're crushing heads of evil. That's why we get rowdy on Easter because right from the fall, from the weight of how messed up everything is, right away, God's like, here's a promise. I'm coming. Here's a covering. I'm gonna come find you and I'm coming. I'm gonna crush the head of this evil. We're looking at this big story of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are not at the end of the story. We're in the middle of the story. We're still in this story that we don't know why painful things happen, why evil things happen, that many of us are the product of people's sins affecting our lives, that we have hurt other people and our sins have affected other people's lives. And in the midst of all this, we're like, where is God? That's a question that we all have, I have. But what if? What if in this whole story that right from the beginning that God is making his way to us? That God is coming after us. We have all this cute language of I'm going to go find my faith. I'm going to find myself. I'm going to go find God. Wrong. He's coming after you. It's the story of God. It's the story of the Bible. 
is that he is coming after us. Look at Romans 5. For if by one trespass, by one trespass of one man, death reigned. I don't know if you read that story of Adam and Eve, you're like, so he eats the apple and we all got to pay for it? Seems a little unfair. But if for the trespass of one man, death reigned through that man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That one man messed this up. One man put us under the condition of evil, but through one man that we will walk through life and have eternity forever where this will never happen because all things are made new. I'm getting ahead of myself in this story. You gotta come back next week. You gotta come back as we keep walking through the story because God's grace is so much more beautiful than we understand. But right now in the story, in this story, we're in our sin. We're under this condition. We're under the weight of this. And I think about this. Some of you guys are here today. I don't know everybody's stories, but some of you guys are here today and you're like painfully aware of your sin, right? You're like, bro, I know. Like there's, there's things you've said, things you've done, thoughts you've had, words that have come out of your mouth, relationships that you've heard. All these pictures are coming to your mind. And you are painfully aware of, of, of your own sin, right? And for you who are in the room who feel the weight of that today, God is coming after you. He's saying, where are you? That the weight of our sin is nothing to, how much greater is the gift of grace that comes through Christ than all the things you've done, all the things you've messed up, all the people you've hurt, which are valid things, right? But they're nothing to be compared to the beauty and power of God's grace. He's coming after you. Amen. And for some of you guys, some of you guys are here today, and you think in all this conversation of sin, and I, I struggle with all three of these things myself. You feel like I'm talking to somebody else. You're like, he's talking about my neighbor. My neighbor needs to hear this. I might email them. He's talking about my sister-in-law. She, mm, she's a sinner for sure. I'm talking about myself, and I'm talking about y'all. <laughs> And for those of us that have sat our butts in church our whole life and the problem was always out there, all them people with their crazy belief systems, all those people and their sins, some of them got tattoos. No, it's in here, my friends. The seeds are in all of us. Yours is just self-righteousness. Merry Christmas. And this is, I'm being honest with you because I struggle, we all struggle with these things ourselves. We always, can, all of us who compare Make our sins, our seeds not look as bad as other people's seeds, right? And I pray for this. In order for Easter to, I, I pray this year, we have, a, we have a hoedown in here on Easter because we see the power of the resurrection because we understood the weight of our sin. And so my prayer for you, if you don't think this is you, I pray that God might show you your sin. And that hurts. I, that's like the thing in your life, you're like, please don't, please don't. My dentist is in this room and I've had a lot of cavities and I don't want to deal with them. It hurts. But man, is it beautiful when he takes care of that and gives me a new feeling, gives me new life, right? 
that my prayer for you, if you're someone who thinks I'm talking to somebody else, my prayer is that God would show you your sin gracefully, that God might show your sin, not so you can feel guilty, but so you can see the beauty of the cross. And for some of you, I know you're in here, I'm friends with you, that you're like, don't believe this story, man. It's a cute story. Don't believe it. I'm glad you're here. And this is what I'm passionate about. This is, I, I, feel really, I feel like maybe you grew up in church a little bit or you hear nonsense on Facebook or on the news and it's this weird picture of Christianity that I would never sign up for. Do not put me, and many of us are that way. We're like, I don't want to be part of that version of Christianity, that version of the Bible, that version of nonsense that gets thrown out there. And my, my prayer for you is I just encourage you to just keep coming because we want to tell the story. We want to look at the story of the Bible. So at least if you're going to be like, I don't really agree with that, at least just see the story, not just a bunch of random pictures, right? I'm glad that you're here. You guys got to, you got to come back next week. Dan's going to lead us through how through the Bible that God doesn't just turn a blind eye to sin because neither do we. We don't just turn, when stuff matters to us. No, God, God, all through the, all through the Bible, he, he deals with sin, but he also makes ways to dwell with his people. Why? Because God's coming after us. We'll end with this. I love this quote. The same guy, Frederick Buchner, says this. If God really wanted to get rid of us to kick us out of Eden, the chances are he wouldn't keep hounding us every step of the way since. I love that. You guys got to come back next week as we continue to look at the story of God. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we're just thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your presence with us. God, I pray that we just, not in a dramatic way, not in this guilt-ridden way that doesn't lead to life change, but God, just in a way that is your spirit showing us, I pray that we would see the weight of our sin and our need for you. Jesus, we live so often, I know I do, and I imagine my brothers and sisters here do, that we live in such a way that we can deal with our sin ourselves. That we can deal with it, manage it, clean it up ourselves, and in that, God, not only do we, do we make it worse, but we, we don't need you. We don't need the cross. We don't need the beauty of the cross. And God, my prayer is that in understanding and seeing the weight of our sin, that we might see the power and beauty and hope and goodness of the cross and the empty grave so much clear so much more powerfully. And so my friends here, for my friends here that, that feel the weight of their sin this morning, I pray that your grace and the presence of who you are would just flow over them and that your spirit would show them of who you've made them to be if they're in Christ. That, that your spirit would remind them of their righteousness in Christ and that that might be what pours from them. And for my, my friends here, that for some of us who don't think that we're bad, who think it's other people that have the problem, I pray that, that you would just show us our need for you, that you might show us our sin, that we might see our Savior. God, we're thankful for the story that you've given us, for the story that you're, you're writing. Help us to see the beauty of a God who created a God, the beauty of a God who pursued, the beauty of a God who died in our place, the beauty of a God who uses normal people to do his work in the, the story and beauty of a God who's going to make all things new. Will there be no more sin, no more sorrow, all this will be gone. May we see the beauty of that God more clearly. We're thankful that you meet us where we're at and that you take us where we need to go. It's because of Christ alone that we pray.